welcome fate controllers, conspiracists, string pullers, web spinners, specialists in creating characters and giving them desires that you will not satisfy. Welcome plotters, in short. Today is the day we're going to dive into plot in all of its varied forms because we have Gene Hanf Corlitz on the show today. And Gene wrote a novel called The Plot, which sets up some high expectations because a novel called The Plot had better deliver a good plot, which it does. You know, my introduction to it came when I, I read a review of it. And the reviewer literally, you know, just delved into saying that there's one moment in the book where he gasped. He dropped the book, like literally dropped it while reading it on an airplane. So that sold me and it does deliver. It's a great plot, a great story. So I hope you read it. But the book made me think that we all read with with different needs and expectations of plot. And some people read almost exclusively for plot. They need to be hanging off of a cliff of a high action drama, whereas others read for language or character or mood or just, you know, a minimal plot. But every story has a plot of some sort, even some of those that, you know, don't seem like they do necessarily, just a plot that, you know, hits different pitches. So I'm curious how you would categorize yourself, Brooke. Do you require or desire a fast-moving plot, or are you fine with a more meditative drama? That is a really good question, Uh, and I guess I'd have to say both, or it depends, Mm. because I love books that are fast-paced that give me a good story. I think everybody does. I am a definite fan of the page-turner, especially during these times when it can feel difficult to pick up a book because we're tired or overwhelmed. Uh, And I also love the current trend we're seeing of shorter chapters, especially in books that have various timelines where you might go back and forth. Uh, And I always like that because if I hit one timeline, I'm eager to see what's going to happen in the next. And so that kind of pacing I really love in a plot. I think, you know, because I read a lot of memoir too, that there's more meditative parts of the story. A lot of times in memoir, there oftentimes there's more reflection just by necessity because memoir requires reflection in ways that fiction sometimes doesn't. And sometimes I like more character-driven books. So I guess I'm sort of saying every kind, but (laughs) there are, you know, there are these sort of sloggy books, uh, Mm -hmm. what you were saying before. And I think you have to be such an amazing writer to execute something like that well. I was actually thinking about Amir McBride, who is a former right-minded guest, uh, because her novel, Strange Hotel, was that, you know, like a truly meditative book. And she was even accused of being solipsistic in her writing because the character was basically just sitting around in hotels ruminating. Uh, But she had the writing chops, you know, she's a powerful writer. And I felt that that was just a book to read for the sake of reading, very literary in a sense. So yeah, it just, you know, depends on your mood and all kinds of books are out there, which is kind of exciting. So how about you, Grant? I mean, do you have a particular preference when it comes to reading habits or do you like all of the above as well? In some ways, all of the above, uh, but I find myself reading um, for more meditative plots these days. Like I love Sigrid Nunez and Teju Cole and Ocean Vuong and Rachel Cusk. And I've got to say, I had a kind of similar experience with with Rachel Cusk when I first started reading her because I didn't know nothing about her. And I, as I read it, I was like, when, when is this novel going to (laughs) start? You know, Mm -hmm. it was like page after page (laughs) because I was waiting for that conventional kind of hook, you know, to have the main character face, uh, have a desire, face a conflict, have an obstacle between her and the desire. Anyway, it didn't really happen. The, the, her novels really meander and drift. 
but yet they don't slog like you were saying. You know, they move, and I think it's it's a really artful writer who makes that happen. It seems effortless on the surface. Uh, it's so hard to do, I think, as a writer. So you can't get tricked into thinking that anyone can do it. Um, and I don't even know how to explain the magic behind that, but it does work. Like there is suspense that I'm following, and I enjoy reading on some level. You know, but I I think I turn most for my plot needs actually to TV shows like Netflix series, which I really like when they're like really have a high pitched, fast paced plot. And it's, it makes me think, though, uh, I've, I've confessed this before, but I'm, I'm always nervous and doubting about my own plots. And I, I always, you know, feel somewhat uncomfortable about plotting. But I wonder if my own self-doubt creates a vicious cycle. And I think being a good plotter actually requires, you know, the commitment of a comedian. You know, a, a joke won't work unless you go all in. And, and maybe a plot won't work unless you go all in as well. And maybe that's what I really need to do is just like get rid of that self-doubt, believe in the plot, make it happen. And last night we were watching the show uh, Flight Attendant. Uh, and my wife, Heather, made the comment that the writers were really punishing the main character, which was actually a compliment. It's like one way to view a story's plot is that you make worse and worse things happen to the main character. You, you truly have them hit bottom. And so, Brooke, I thought it might be interesting for us to explore some of these ideas of plotting to get more comfortable for me as a plot phobe. And so I thought I'd, I'd throw some out. And uh, if you have any ideas, you can throw them out, too. First, Stephen King. He actually gave me the shorthand for getting over a lot of my plot doubts. He said to write about situations. And he says, just put a character, have them enter a scene, and have them exit the scene differently. So they have to walk through a conflict or an obstacle. And then I think sometimes we, we, we expect too much of our plots from as writers. We want to have these kind of mind-blowing twists and turns. And I think the thing to think about, kind of what Stephen King was getting at, is that you really just have to focus on attention that reveals a character. And, and we had Lydia Yuknovich on the show. Um, I don't know when that was, <laughs> six months or a year a ago. ago. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, she, she talked about writing to intensities. And I thought that was such a kind of friendly way to put it, to, to write your story to intensities. And, and writing your story to intensities is going to, you know, kind of naturally bring on a plot. And then I think about uh, the third thing I have to add is that there's this plot rule that if you introduce a gun in Act 1, it needs to go off by Act 3. And then Patricia Hamill, I, I, I copied down this quote. She says, don't resist the urge to burn down the stronghold, kill off the main love interest or otherwise foul up the lives of your characters. And this is what I was getting at with the flight attendant. You know, Nabokov said he used to treat his characters sadistically. He used to hold them under his thumb. And I think there's something about that just being punishing to your characters as a way to like move the plot forward. So how about you, Brooke? Do you have any good plot tips? Yeah, I appreciate this conversation so much because obviously it centers more around fiction. And oftentimes I'm coming at this from the vantage point of the memoirist, right? And I think about Nabokov saying that he's punishing his characters and sometimes memoirists don't really have to look very far to think about the ways that they've been punished. You know, it, it's like life is there and all these things have happened. But uh, I, I would like to actually speak to plot for memoirists because I think sometimes memoirists think that they don't have to plot when, of course, in fact, they do. Mm -hmm. And the arc of the narrative can take all these different forms, uh, you know, because the plot is what happened. And the character in a memoir, just like in fiction, also has to change from the beginning of a book to the end of the book, maybe not necessarily from scene to scene, but definitely from point A to point B. So plot is intertwined with your structure and how you choose to tell the story. And it's also super intertwined with transitions. 
I'm sort of obsessed with transitions. I think they matter so much to the story and the way that the writer chooses to tell the story. So I particularly appreciate Stephen King and think that even when you're writing other genres that you can learn a lot from reading about fiction plotting because so much of it is applicable. Uh, You know, you still need to move your protagonist, you know, whether it is you or a fictional character from one place to the next. And oftentimes I read scenes uh, and my feedback to the writer that I'm working with is what is the purpose of this scene, Mm -hmm. right? It has to do heavy lifting and it should earn the right to be in your book in the first place. And so your plot is the culmination of those scenes. It's like the what happened and why does it matter? So even if that plot is slow, even if it spans a relatively short period of time, which can also happen, uh, you still have to make it work hard. And one of the things I was thinking about today was uh, that plot can be a day or a week, you know, the what happened in a novel. And I was reminded of Samir Pandya, uh, someone else who we had on the show probably who knows when, <laughs> a year ago. <laughs> uh, and his novel is called Members Only, and it took place over the course of a single week. And I remember talking to him about that because we were kind of like, oh, what was that structure about? You know, what were you thinking with regard to the plot? And so listeners might want to go back and listen to that episode. And then there are memoirs that span a few months, like Cheryl Strayed's Wild, which is three months on the Pacific Crest Trail and has flashbacks from early in her life. And also Amy Tan's recent memoir, Where the Past Begins, which is fragmentary and experimental. And the New York Times described it more like a collage or a scrapbook than a standard chronological excavation of the past. So all of this for me just stirs up the question of how writers play with plot, break plot, ignore plot, or sometimes stay within its confines. Yeah, those are great questions. But in the end, the story has to move forward, right? In some sense, there has to be suspense, there has to be narrative tension. And I think, you know, I I love the collage-like approach. It's something that I do in my own writing, and I love reading it. But like I said earlier about the Rachel Cusk novels, it's it's harder to do than it appears like on the surface. I don't think, I think a lot lot of times, in other words, that writers try to do an end run around plot and to find kind of a, a different strategy not realizing that they still have to have suspense and a rising trajectory of story going on in some form, Mm -hmm. even though it's kind of a different kind of reading. But um, just going back to the novel, the plot, I think one thing that's interesting about it is that it deals with the subject of influence or appropriation or really outright thievery. And just so that listeners know, the plot of the plot, you know, centers around a professor, a writing professor, who's kind of washed up. And he steals a story idea from a student who professes to have the best plot in the world, but the student dies. And after the student dies, the professor takes that plot and writes it and turns it into this best-selling novel. And I won't tell you anymore because there's more. It's definitely wrong to do that, obviously, but it brings up the idea for me of who owns a story. Uh, Shakespeare stole most of his storylines for his plays from a book of histories. Uh, Jane Smiley used King Lear to guide her book, A Thousand Acres. I mean, there are a hundred examples of this. Joseph Campbell wrote, you know, his famous book, A Hero with a Thousand Faces, about how there's a repetition of certain story principles in all cultures going back to the beginning of time. So 
writers as well as visual artists, musicians, um, all use other people's work to build their own, which which I think is fine. I even have a book called, its title is Steal This Plot, <laughs> which, uh, <laughs> which I use every I'm, day. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, thank you. I will steal that plot. You know, I mean, we're always, we're, we are stealing plots when it comes down to it, either consciously or unconsciously. And this book, you know, Steal This Plot, I think there are like 27 or 28 plots and it outlines the most popular ones. You know, I think a lot of uh, writers sometimes think that they've got this original plot that they can't whisper into the world because somebody will steal it. But it's, I always say that originality is more, uh, not so much about the storyline, but more in the originality of the execution. Mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more because writers are oftentimes so worried about their work being stolen. I hear that all the time. And I mean, I personally find it kind of funny, even though I understand that people are serious about it, just because I've been working in this industry for so long. And the only time that you're ever going to have your work stolen is if you just become huge, you know, like JK Rowling or Stephen King, you know, people might have tried to do that. And then of course you have a giant legal team to come to your defense. So it just rarely happens. And of course we all have different experiences, different voices and different ways of rendering. And so there is this grand tradition of copying, as you said, in art and in writing uh, and to learn to be better storytellers, I actually think that you have to copy, you have to try on different voices. It's certainly not an endorsement of plagiarism or stealing someone's idea out from under them, but taking from existing storylines, classic storylines, rethinking previously told stories, you know, all of those things are actually a giant compliment to the original storyteller. You know, I've always been fascinated by uh, how much Star Wars has been built out well beyond the original movies, because I got all these books for James when he was younger after we were watching whatever the most recent trilogy was. And I just couldn't believe the creativity behind these backstories, just detailed characterizations of Han Solo and Jabba the Hutt and all these others. And I would think, you know, if I were George Lucas, I would be incredibly moved <laughs> that my mm -hmm. fans wanted to go and create all of these other books and storylines. And it's actually a huge gift to all the people who made Star Wars. So that's just one example of many, you know, the ways in which storylines can kind of take on lives of their own. Yeah, I bet if, uh, let's just say Star Wars doesn't exist in the world, but that um, somebody from Star Wars gives us the plot of Star Wars, it gives us the story idea, uh, we would each execute that story so differently right. and so differently from George Lucas. They would be entirely different stories. So it's just, you know, that's where originality is really about the execution, not the storyline itself. And so I am interested to hear more about what Gene has to say about plotting and uh, inspire me to, to, to not avoid plot, but to commit to it. Me too, Grant. I can't wait. So we'll be back after a very short break. Welcome back, everybody. I'm thrilled to introduce Gene Hanf Korlitz, who is the author of many novels, most recently The Plot, which we're talking about today. She's also the author of You Should Have Known, which you might know as The Undoing, which was a version of the novel starring Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant that was recently on HBO. That wasn't Jean's first foray into film, though. Her novel Admission was adapted as the 2013 film of the same name, starring Tina Fey, Lily Tomlin, and Paul Rudd. And then she's also written The Devil and Webster, The White Rose, The Sabbath Day River, and A Jury of Her Peers. Welcome, Jean. 
Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. This is going to be fascinating for us. I read some interesting history about the plotting of the plot, uh, that it occurred to you like a thunderbolt out of nowhere. And you said that this happened once previously with your novel, You Should Have Known. That's right. So I'm curious to know more because so often we have this notion of an author working out a plot with outlines and diagrams and post-its and stuff like that. And aren't you supposed to put in grueling hours to come up with a good plot? <laughs> I put in grueling years on other <laughs> books. I mean, the, there, there are novels that I've written that I literally spent 20 years thinking about before I wrote the first word. I'm thinking in particular of the Sabbath Day River, but also the White Rose. I mean, years and years and years of thinking about those ideas. I'm not a great outliner. I've only written an outline twice in my writing life. And both times it was at the request of a publisher in the case where they were buying the novel before it was completed. I think they just wanted to know that I could finish it. But in both cases, I later um, happened to see those outlines and they looked nothing like the final book. So an outline is a useful tool for some people. Uh, I'm not one of them. Uh, good to know. And I think it's good because a lot of people have outline anxiety and outline judgment and all kinds of things around outlines. Uh, but earlier in the show, Jean, we were talking about different approaches to plotting, and we thought it would be good to explore your ideas about plot, uh, especially with regard to what other authors say. So Stephen King said, of course, the writer can impose control. It's just a really shitty idea. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's very king uh, of him. Writing controlled fiction is called plotting. Buckling your seatbelt and letting the story take over, however, that is called storytelling. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on controlling a story versus telling it according to King's take? Oh, my God. He is so much better at talking about this than I am. I, I mean, I did read on writing. I, it's so long ago, I've forgotten most of it, but I should go back and read it again. But I think, you know, for me, it's always been about being surprised along the way. And I think a great way not to be surprised as you're writing a book is to figure out every single step of it beforehand. It's enough that you have a couple of sort of tent poles of your story in your head in the case of the plot. And, you know, it's a difficult book to talk about because there are so many twists and secrets that you don't want to give away in a conversation like this. But in, in terms of this book, I had two things. I had the idea that there would be a, a kind of a failed writer who appropriates, for lack of a better term, a story, not a, not a word of a manuscript, but a story from a student who has died and writes his own novel based on that story. So that was one tentpole. The other tentpole that I had, uh, and this was kind of the the thunderbolt was what that story was. And that is the thing that just, you know, one minute it wasn't there, the next minute it was there. But part of what we learn as writers more and more as we write books and go through our writing lives is to recognize something good. And, you know, in, in the book, I actually describe this process and I, I refer to it as a spark. And if you are lucky enough to get a spark like the spark that I got with this book, you need to stop everything, drop everything, you know, in your writing life anyway, and tend to that spark, which is what I did. So it, it came from nowhere, but, but I was, I had the wit enough to say, whoa, and 
give it the attention that it deserved. That's so interesting, Jean. I'm just thinking of my own writing life and how sometimes with writing a novel, it's a matter of being so dogged about it and so determined to to finally finish it, you know? And so, but, but you're saying that, that, that this spark is kind of magical enough that you, you need to honor it. Well, and you, you use two words that I actually put into the description of this in the novel, magical and honor. That's exactly right. This is not a, you know, I'm not the only person this has happened to. I mean, there's a very famous case of uh, William Styron, who spent years working on his book about Nat Turner. And suddenly in the middle of it, he, you know, he hears this voice, um, which turns out to be from a character named Stingo. Uh, living in 1940s Brooklyn. And this is the opening, you know, idea of Sophie's choice. And he had to put down Nat Turner and completely shift gears to write Sophie's choice, after which he went back and wrote Nat Turner and finished Nat Turner. So, I mean, it happens. And sometimes it happens when you're in the midst of another project. In this case, I was two or three drafts into a a big book called The Latecomer, which was not working and which my editor was in the process of turning down for like the second time when I actually told her that I had another idea and the idea was the plot. And so is the other book, is it gone? I mean, yesterday, I literally sent it in yesterday in what I hope will be a final draft. But my editor was right. I I needed space from that book because I was not, I was so frustrated. I was so burned out with it. I had no, I'd run out of ideas. And and more importantly, I couldn't see the problem, let alone the solution. And after, um, you know, taking time off to write this completely different book, I was able to go back to it and, and see what was wrong and see how to fix it. Well, that's a great lesson for every writer and really tough one to do, I think. But um, it's, it's, it's good to be attuned to those moments when the world's speaking to you with another story and I want to I want to go back into talking about plot, and I'm intrigued because often literary fiction writers, especially, have varying degrees of, of resistance or aversion to plot. And I have to admit that I've experienced that myself, and I have no idea why uh, literary fiction writers are like this. But um, I, I have this quote uh, from Pulitzer-winning author Andrew Sean Greer, who wrote the very plot-satisfying novel *Less*, by the way. And he said, "When I was young, all I wanted to read were pretentious little books." Camus and Tournier and Calvino. If it had a plot, I hated it. <laughs> so I'm curious, what's your take on this 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 tension between uh, literary fiction writers and plot? And have you ever felt conflicted about plot? Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, that, what you, that quote you just read, I could have I could have written that about myself. I've never met Andrew Sean Greer, but obviously we were spiritual uh, soulmates. Um, yeah, I mean, I started as a poet. I only wrote poetry for the first, you know, until I was in my early twenties. Um, and when I, when I made the the transition to fiction, my first novels, which were not published, um, were very arty and very plotless and not much happened in them, but they were full of poetic language, which I thought was, you know, the, the height of, of, of fiction writing. And it was only um, later that I, 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 I was, I was very, you know, frustrated at not being able to publish those books, and I made a kind of very, uh, you know, cut and dried decision that I would write a book that somebody would publish, and it was a book with a plot. It had quite a plot, and 
I realized I kind of, I liked it. I really liked this plot. And then I kind of, I had this sort of, you know, light bulb moment where I realized that many of the books that I had loved as a reader were full of wonderful kind of unexpected plot twists and, and that I was a snob. I was really being a terrible snob about this. And there was a great deal of artistry in a book with a great story. And I should kind of, you know, catch myself on as my, as my Irish husband would say. So, you know, I, I've actually written uh, a lot about my relationship with plot over the years, but a, a turning point for me was actually um, a lecture that I attended in graduate school, uh, which was ironically neither about poetry nor about fiction. It was about drama in particular Oedipus Rex. And, um, I was listening to this professor um, talk about the kind of structure of the play of Oedipus Rex, and it kind of popped into my head that Oedipus Rex is like the greatest whodunit of all time, in that it begins with, you know, Oedipus saying, who did this terrible thing to my city? Who's responsible? I'm going to find out. He's like the first detective. I'm going to find out who did it. And the answer is, I did it, you know, which was not the answer that anybody was expecting least of all himself. So, you know, when you really look at these stories full of tension, you get a kind of version of who did it, I did it, which is surprising is how many of our great stories that that question and answer actually fits. And and I think in the in the great uh thrillers, this is very much you know, at home in those stories. So, and it certainly has been in, in the, the kind of more suspense driven novels that I've written. I really love that, Jean. I'd actually hadn't given that much thought. And as you were talking, I was like, Oh, ding, ding, ding. Yeah. That is, that is a moment of recognition there. Uh, so thanks for unpacking that. And I was curious, uh, Grant and I were talking, uh, was we we're preparing the show notes for today about all these novels that feature, writers and the publishing world, like uh, Jenny Ophel's Department of Speculation and Singred Nunez is the friend and Rachel Cusk, who we had on the show, who wrote the trilogy of novels, uh, which has a writer at its center. And then, of course, there's a long lineage of novels about writers like Stephen King's Misery and Michael Chabon's Wonder Boys. So do you have any favorite novels about writers or did you write this with any novels about writers in mind? I love Wonder Boys. Uh, I think Wonder Boys is maybe my favorite Michael Chabon novel, although I, I love the Yiddish Policeman's Union as well. But there's a great little paragraph tucked away in, right, in uh, Wonder Boys where the guy, um, I think his name is Brady, is is talking about just how hard it all is. You know, you've got to name all these characters. You've got to give them all histories. You've got to make up addresses for them. You've got to like write the way the family wills. And oh my God, it's so much trouble. <laughs> I just laughed a lot when I read that because of course it's true. And I think that's actually why I don't write short stories because if you're going to go to all this trouble and make up all these people and give them all, you know, uh, body mass indexes and hair colors mm -hmm. and names and, and what car they drive, you want to get 400 pages out of it. It's just too much work otherwise. But the bigger answer to your question is, you know, we write about we write about writers because, you know, that's that's what we know. Um, we're not that familiar with working in offices, at least. No, I'm not. 
But also, you know, the, the funny thing is that there's this kind of conventional wisdom that readers don't like to read about writers. And believe me, I was thinking about that as I wrote the plot and my crazy writing this novel that people are going to, you know, think who cares about what agent he gets and who cares about, you know, his feelings of obligation towards his publisher, you know, out there in the real world, readers don't care about this. And I was quite surprised and reassured that um, they do seem interested and they do seem to care about the the minutia of our navel gazing lives. And you could also um, point to the fact that there are many moral issues that we deal with. Um, some, you know, we were just talking before we began about what's going on with the conversation around this short story cat person right now. And I mean, there, there's always been this cloud over the heads of of writers about what we're allowed to say, you know, whose who's story is this? Am I allowed to use a real person? Am I allowed to use my own life? Um, should I change things? You know, what is fiction anyway? I mean, there, there are great big um, problems that we grapple with all the time. Well, Jean, speaking of novels about writers, I read this in one review. The plot of the plot is so ingenious that it should be assigned as required reading in the very MFA programs at Pinions, both as a model of superior narrative construction and as a warning of the grim realities of the literary life to naive wannabe writers. We all know about the grim realities. I'm curious, how do you feel about such a statement? I'm also curious about your thoughts on whether writing and plotting in particular can be taught. Uh, excellent question. It's something that um, is openly asked in the plot. It's something that I haven't really made up my own mind about definitively. I myself did not go to an MFA program, but I, I did spend two years in graduate school pursuing a degree I already knew I wasn't going to use. So I think that's pretty self-indulgent. It was two years uh, of reading and writing for me. And I made very good use of it, but um, I'm not a pure, you know, I'm not a purist about this. I do note that writing programs look like a very good deal for the institutions that um, that offer them. They're not, you know, you don't have to build a laboratory, you don't have to build a dormitory, you just let people in and cash the checks. And these uh, programs don't really prepare graduates for anything except teaching in MFA programs. So there is this kind of self-propagating thing. On the other hand, um, you know, I've had friends who had wonderful MFA experiences who felt that they changed their lives. I was interviewing a writer literally two nights ago for my own um, writer series, which is called Book the Writer. And she told us all this story about how a conversation with one of her fellow students in her MFA programs just completely changed the trajectory of her work and sent her directly to the, her very successful uh, career as a writer. So, I mean, I don't, I don't wish to cast any kind of, you know, pall over the industry, but it is an industry and, um, and, and it was a lot of fun to make fun of. <laughs> it is. Yeah, we we like to poke fun at the industry a bit in this show from time to time. Uh, we'd love to close on craft. We have so many guests on this show who seem to be confessing when they say that they're a struggling plotter. Grant is a self-professed struggling plotter. And so what kinds of advice do you have for, for people uh, who might struggle with that, which I think honestly is more people than not? 
Yeah. It's not just us, meaning the novelists. I, I think in a sense, it's all artists, anybody trying to make something out of nothing. And I, I've never claimed to fully understand what Keats meant when he talked about negative capability. But my idea of what that means, uh, which I think is is incredibly resonant for certainly what I do and probably for what you do and what we all do, is the struggle is not to know everything. You know, this, the, the, the challenge is to attempt to write this massive book, and it is massive no matter you know, how many pages it ends up being, without knowing what's going to happen. And it is terrifying, and nobody ever told you that it wouldn't be terrifying. It's like, you know, walking across a tightrope, you know, strung between two cliffs and not being able to see that far in front of you and still, you know, taking that step. Most writers have some metaphor about what writing is like for them. I know I just said the thing about the tightrope, but my personal metaphor has to do with, and other people have this too. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that I'm the only person who thinks this way, but I think about driving and, and seeing what you can see just from the headlights right in front of you. You can't see the end. You can't even see the middle probably, but you can see right in front of you and you have to write to what you can see and have faith that by the time you get there, you'll see the next thing and then the next thing and then the next thing. That is what plotting is to me. You can go wrong. And I do in the middle of the plot, I had to stop and, and go back. I'd made a mistake. I didn't know how to fix it. I had to just, you know, rewind and, and start again but then I knew I was on the right track. So I would forget about plotting, actually. <laughs> I would, you know, try to read the book as you would have it read, as it's, you know, as your reader will be reading it, and give as much information as you think you need to give in order to the, get to the next place, and then the next place, and then the next place. Of course, it's not easy to do, but I... I also think that if you sit down and work out every single thing that should happen, it is kind of soul-destroying, and it certainly uh, has the impact of creating uh, a reading experience that will feel very dry and very rote. That's great advice, Jean. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jean. Thank you guys so much. We'll be right back with today's book talk. Welcome back, everyone, for this week's book pick. I think instead of recommending a single book, uh, I'm inspired to recommend a personal plot seminar. And here's, here's my recommendation. I'd like you to pick out your favorite book of all time and actually reread it and mark the plot points, the main ones, and think about why this style of plot pacing works for you. You know, we all have different plot needs, plot desires. So really think about what works for you and, and how another author has executed that. And I think this helps you sort of internalize that rhythm, that kind of storytelling, you know, the concepts involved. And, and then just to add a little spice to it, read one of the great books on plotting, like Stephen King's On Writing. We've had a few uh, authors who've written great books on, on the show. Uh, Jessica Brody wrote Save the Cat. We've had Donald Moss on the show, James Scott Bell. Each of them have written books on plotting. So complement your, your favorite novel with a book about plot and really set aside some time to really think about plot. You know, you don't have to take a course in this. You can really do it yourself and just examine your own needs. And then 
execute it in your own writing, whether you're writing a memoir or a novel. Great advice, Grant. I love it. And thank you, everybody, for listening. We are crashing toward the final episodes of this Ooh. season. Yes, it is summer officially. Happy summer, everybody. Uh, and I am proud of us, Grant. You know, we are at a place where we got 350 reviews, even though we had the goal to finish with 500. But a lot of people have been telling me that they don't actually know how to leave reviews, <laughs> which, which made me think like, hmm, it's very possible that we had 150 people who wanted to leave reviews and don't know how. <laughs> 150 people exactly we made it like, exactly i'm <laughs> saying we made it so thank you everybody for helping us get there we're super grateful and you know we're a weekly podcast we're gonna have our favorite episodes um, mashed up together in august so tune in in august anyway because you'll get to hear the ones that me and grant love the most which is always fun and thank you for supporting us and helping us to do what we do we appreciate you all so much and we'll see you next week